Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Timmy Gibson Show. Thank you for joining me today. I'm really excited uh, to interview or have a conversation with, rather, uh, an author. Uh, her name is L. Hardy. She's an Australian-born journalist, which you'll pick that up when you hear her talking. <laughs> her accent is awesome. Um, she's an Australian-born journalist uh, based out of New Orleans currently. Uh, she's reported extensively on stories from the United States and the former Soviet Union, among other places. And her credits include The Guardian, The Times, GQ, Business Insider, uh, Monocle, Foreigner, Policy, Vice, ABC, and Lonely Planet. Uh, she's recently written a book called Beyond Belief, How Pentecostal Christianity is Taking Over the World. Um, so, yeah, I... She, Obviously, that was the the uh, the hitch for me, or that was the hook for me. Um, I saw that Michael Shermer uh, from Skeptic Magazine did an interview with her, and I just uh, I liked the interview, and so I watched a couple other interviews with her, and uh, I thought, man, you know, I'm just uh, obviously as a former uh, Pentecostal preacher, uh, I found things that she said to be fascinating and, and very interesting, intriguing. And I just thought it'd be fun to talk to her. We only had an hour, so it was kind of, um, you know, I kind of had to trim down the the few questions that I did have and couldn't get into to too much. But um, we got into some 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 meat that I think is very interesting, a little bit of background on how Pentecostalism even got started. And uh, yeah, just some fascinating things. I think you'll really, really, really enjoy this conversation uh, with author journalist l hardy one hey l hardy how are you i'm well thanks man how are you i'm doing real good okay this i hope this doesn't offend you but i have a pomeranian dog and her name is l oh there you go <laughs> and it was from the uh movie uh, legally blonde l woods she just she, yeah yeah there so there you go anyway hey i found you on or through Michael Shermer's podcast and you re recently uh, at least to me recently wrote a book called Beyond Belief how Pentecostal Christianity is taking over the world and it just it sparked my curiosity because I'm a former Pentecostal uh, preacher <laughs> spent 30 years actually as a Pentecostal preacher uh, grew up in an Assembly of God home and then went off to, to seminary and then, of course, graduated, started becoming like evangelizing, you know, traveling around and preaching, doing tent revivals. And, and then, long story short, I became a pastor and then just had a, uh, uh, I don't know, just kind of an awakening. The more I read, the more I traveled, the more it just didn't make sense to me. And the more I investigated, uh, it just caused me to, to, to walk away from it, though. I, I, there was a phase in my journey where I was bitter, uh, you know, kind of angry at, at the church. And, and now, uh, I've worked through all that and have, you know, fond memories of, of my past. So that just brings me to, uh, a couple things. One, what, what interested you in the Pentecostal movement? How did that come about to even write this book? Sure. So, I mean, the, the, the short accident is, is complete. Uh, the short answer is completely by accident. Um, but 
basically a few years ago, I was doing a story in Waco, Texas, that was sort of became the genesis of my book. And there's an extract of it in, in The Guardian about the John School movement. And that is schools for, for guys who are caught um, soliciting prostitution for the first time. And they're sort of the sort of weird court mandated um, reform schools that are often run by church groups. Um, you know, it's Texas and, and these are the people that, you know, often often have an interest in these things. And it was down there. Um, I mean, this is, gosh, this is 2018, you know, in very red America um, where, you know, media weren't exactly welcomed with open arms um and this this couple let me in to to profile their school and once i was sort of down there i realized that they didn't really want me there um but they'd let me in and and we came to we sort of got talking a lot and and i came to realize that the reason that they'd let me in um was basically because I'm, i'm australian by birth and um they were inspired to start their school by a woman called Christine Kane. And Christine Kane is is quite a big um, sort of girl power evangelist in the United States. Oh, yeah. um, she she lives um, yeah, I know, she, I know her <laughs> Orange County, yeah. And she does a lot of yeah, takes a lot of her, her very girl powery tours around the country. Uh, and she's a Hillsong alumni. And Hillsong started in Sydney, where I where I come from. And I actually went to Hillsong when I was about fifteen with a with a friend from school. Um, she it was just a Saturday night music thing that they became really famous for. Um, and and you know I remember my parents at the time not not really wanting me to go. But you know when when you're a fifteen year old, there's there's probably worse things you can be getting up to on a Saturday uh, night. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so it was, um, you know, so I just started really researching the movement from there and, and sort of realizing just how big this Australian contingent was in the United States. I knew a bit about, you know, Justin Bieber and, and all of that, um, uh, stuff that, that happened with Hillsong and why they became quite famous. Um, and, and then, um, you know, I was sort of able to do a few stories back home on, on just how big some of these preachers were in the United States that, that most people in Australia wouldn't have heard heard from. Um, and, and then just sort of reading more about the global Pentecostal movement, um, some academics have, have done some really fantastic work. I realised that it, it was basically just a seriously underreported story. I, I think that there is a, a, a real weakness in in my great profession. Um, you know, people that's, that, that run um, newspapers and magazines and, and whatnot tend to be fairly liberal, secular, big city kind of people who aren't really interested in faith. And this is a movement that's going to have one in 10 of the world's population in the tent by 2050. There's, you know, probably about 700 million Pentecostals worldwide now. Um, I think that there's a pretty compelling argument that is now the dominant form of of Christianity, the dominant expression of Christianity globally, that it probably has taken over from the Catholic Church. Yeah. Do you think, so? Um, I'm sorry to interrupt. When I think about that, I see so many people going through what I've gone through, which is they're leaving faith, especially here, I guess, in the West or in America, where Pentecostalism is is not really all that popular. It's looked at kind of as a weird, you know, it's the speaking in tongues, the people flailing on the ground. I mean, it's kind of out there, even though I was a Pentecostal preacher and I never publicly really did the tongues thing in the last 10 years. I mean, that was something that was kind of, yeah, we talk in tongues, but that's a private thing we do in our prayer closet. It's not anything we're going to do in front of other people because even we thought it was weird. Yeah. I mean, tongues is, is really um, not something that is done so much any, anymore. Pardon me. Um, 
There, there was a good article recently uh, from a uh, Pentecostal scholar whose name escapes me, sort of saying that he differentiates Pentecostals as speaking in tongues with charismatics who don't tend to, but are taking on a lot of that 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 Pentecostal um, stuff, you know, the signs and wonders of, you know, doing, doing the stuff, as John Wimber said. Um, so it, it's far more about um, Pentecostals are known for tongues, but I mean, globally, it's, it's really what's getting people in the tent is health and wealth. Um, this is the religion of the world's working poor. Um, in, in Brazil, as, as we speak, more or less this year, Pentecostals are overtaking Catholics, and this was wow. the most Catholic country on earth. And considering the Pentecostals were about three percent of the population um, in 1980, that's you know that that's a that's a revolution. Um, they, they've undone 500 years of Catholicism in 40 years, and wow. and it really is the it's the health and wealth. So it is. Um, healthcare by by way of miracle um and right. also just you know joining a church that will have some sort of medical clinic in in places like brazil south africa um where you know people don't have access to any sort of um any sort of state um state healthcare um and and i must say as well increasingly the united states um and and then obviously healthcare by way of miracle by laying of hands by faith healing by praying um by by spiritual warfare and then wealth, um, prosperity gospel, uh, which really comes out of the Pentecostal movement, is is pretty pretty big around the world. But there's also a, a bit more going on. It's not just you know handing over your you know your your small car to to a preacher that's already re- wearing a Rolex. Right. It's, <laughs> it's it's about it's really building solidarity networks. Um, and there's a lot of evidence, particularly in places like Brazil, that. Um, people tend to get their lives together once they they join a Pentecostal church. They might have been, for example, Catholic by upbringing or just sort of generic, you know, had faith in God, but but weren't really church attending. Once you have that born again moment, once you are, you know, dunked in the water and then born again in the Holy Spirit, that's a really clear demarcation in your life. And a lot of people really see the before and the after in what happened in their lives. And, and you know, it's, it's a moment. So you go, okay, yeah, I'm not going to go out drinking and gambling on Saturday night because people expect me to be at church tomorrow. And then, you know, you, you start doing that and you start getting, your, you know, your life starts improving. You might have you start a little making bit more better choices at the end of the week. <laughs> right, right. Interesting. That's fascinating because I, the, I was a part of that, that faith, word of faith movement that, mm. you know, the down in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Kenneth Hagan, uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that I went to that school and, and graduated from there and very much into the faith, the name it, claim it, healing, you know, everybody's yep. driving Rolls Royces and, and, you know, <laughs> you know, Lexus and wearing, like you said, Rolexes and, you know, writing with Mont Blancs. And I mean, it was just very much <laughs> focused on that. But what I noticed, and I don't know, I'm curious what your research noticed is it seemed to me like a lot of people, you say the working poor, that a lot of the people were poor. And this, I don't mean this as a slam necessarily, because I'm sure this isn't true, but I'm curious what your research found. It's a lot of uneducated um, people too, that were just diving in and believing and just giving everything. And and so who was rich were the, the leadership. It was the pastors. It was the, it was all the people that were on staff that were, truly living wealthy while all of the people in the congregation for not uh, totally, but, but we're struggling. 
Yeah, look, the 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 lack of education is certainly um, actually part of the appeal that we're seeing now. Um, Pentecostal preachers, um, you probably, I mean, AOG is sort of the last place where there is something of a hierarchy, really, in the Pentecostal world, and and there might be some, you know, education requirements, some vetting, and things like that. But in most of the world, you know, most churches now are going non-denominational and they're overwhelmingly Pentecostal and charismatic um, because you just don't want to, you know, it's a branding exercise. You don't want to minimize the amount of people, um, you know, coming into your store, so to speak. Um, And, and yeah, that's part of the real appeal. Um, There there is, you know... a lot, of, a lot, but not all of, of the Pentecostal movement is is aligning with, or certainly at least tapping into, the sort of populist right that we're seeing at the moment. So there's a real distrust of experts. Um, you know, often, often in um, in in developing world countries, and 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 even you know the United States as well, the people who are climbing to the top of the tree um, have the best education, have all the the qualifications. You know, knew all the right people at, at the right schools, um, yeah. and people see that as you know a real turnoff there is authenticity in your pentecostal preacher who you know grew up in the favela like you did right um so so an an example i forgive um where it's become really profound is 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 brazil um and south africa where uh in in brazil particularly you know because you are seeing so many people especially the working poor come over from the catholic from the catholic faith A, a catholic priest or, or bishop in Brazil is probably white. Um, they've probably been educated in Spain or Portugal. And then they're just dropped in to, you know, this, this church on the edge of the favela or on the edge of the Amazon rainforest. Whereas your Pentecostal preacher, he grew up in the favela with you. He's often the most charming guy in the village, wow. um, literally, you know, literally and, and um, spiritually charismatic. Um, he's mixed race like you. He speaks in the same vernacular as you. Um, you go to these churches and they're very austere. Um, there's nothing flashy about it. You know, it doesn't look like anyone's hoarding wealth. Right. And, and you know, if this, this guy, you know, if people want to give him money because he's good at what he does, well, you know, we, we do that in all aspects of our lives really now. You know, we, we give, you know, if someone likes Elon Musk, they give him their eight bucks a month or whatever for Twitter yep. Blue um, <laughs> and he doesn't need it. Um, and, uh, you know, people of people faith are doing that as well. And the the sermons that these preachers give are, are really contextual. You know, I had an incredible sermon um, from a really great preacher who really looked after his, his community in um, sort of on the outskirts of the Mozambique capital, Maputo. And he gave this really powerful sermon saying, you know, people are always coming to me because they're spending too much time on Instagram and Facebook and they're seeing everyone else's lives and thinking that they're not shaping up themselves and that they don't have it as good as their friends and they're suffering from jealousy and envy and all these sorts of things. Uh, And, you know, he's explaining that no one's, you know, putting their regular life on Facebook and Instagram. Everyone's, you know, giving a polished version of themselves and their lives and putting them their best selves forward. But but most people are struggling like you. And, you know, it's very clearly a riff on, you know, not coveting your neighbor's, right. <laughs> your neighbor's ox or, you know, um, that, that sort of thing. But, but they're contextualizing it for people's lives. And when you're talking about that sort of stuff, it's really meaningful and people find it inspirational it's it's like a you know it's almost like a um a motivational speech you know it's a bit more it's more tony robbins and pentecost has always been great at that at contextualizing and at really giving that motivation and you know a lot of people uh work you know a lot of people's lives really suck they're working two three jobs and so they don't want to you know they don't want to go in church on sunday to have reverend lovejoy you know making them fall asleep in the front row right, um right. they they want someone to to lift them up and they're going to go right this is my my one day off for the week i'm going to go back out there i'm going to you know go home and clean the house or 
do something good for my kids or get really pumped up for the week ahead. And and that's what Pentecostals are really, really great at. And they always, they always have been. Yeah, that's what I mean. That was the main thing that I focused on as a pastor. I would teach, you know, nine, nine ways to overcome fear, three ways <laughs> to turn your Absolutely. finances around. I mean, it was all very self-helpy. Uh, and then he, he threw in some Bible verses and, and that's the thing, you know, for me, I grew up in it. It was all I ever knew. So it was very, people asked me like, how could you walk away? And I said, well, I was at the time I was very sincere. I sincerely believed what I was teaching. Uh, and then, like I said, just as I got older for whatever reason, I don't know if it was my midlife crisis. I'm not really sure. Um, though I didn't turn to a life of sin. It wasn't like I left the church and, and started living a depot, you know, gambling and, and doing drugs. That, that wasn't my life path. Uh, it was just a belief of going, Oh, okay, well, these things can be achieved in other ways. I don't need religion to, to bring me those things is what I, for me personally is kind of what I come came to understand. And clearly, as an agnostic, I, I also just did a real deep dive spiritually and just there were so many, so many things I couldn't reconcile. I just couldn't reconcile certain things that that just didn't make sense to me um, when it came to actually, I read a book called Sapiens. And when I read the book Sapiens, it just really threw me for a loop, um, understanding just the biological and evolution and just different things about about life. Anyway, so. um I, one of the things I'm curious about, I grew up studying Pentecostalism and, and, and this is going to sound terrible, but even though I went to Bible to seminary for four years and graduated and, and supposedly have a Bible degree, I, when I, I was doing a deep dive going all over the place, trying to find as many videos I could on you and, and seeing your different interviews. And one of them, you were given a background about Pentecostalism, which I'm familiar with uh, Seymour and Azusa street. I mean, I have a vague, idea of that. But for the listeners, can you give just a, a little bit of a an overview of how Pentecostalism even became a thing and what what was the driving force behind that? So what's one of the interesting things about Pentecostalism, it's officially, you know, sort of considered the founder of it's William J. Seymour, the son of freed slaves um, from Louisiana, not far from where I'm living. And He's a Zusa Street revival in Los Angeles in 1906 that that sparked this incredible thing. But there are also actually very interest, very eerily almost. Um, there are a number of other revivals going on around the world at the same time. There's the Welsh revival, the Pyongyang revival, um, in, that were both sort of preceded that. But there, there was definitely something in 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 the air. Um, but but I actually think that he. Well, he has certainly has a claim to being the, you know, the the founder founder of Pentecostalism. He was he was the protege of of someone who I think probably has a has a better claim, and that's um Charles Fox Parham. So he was an itinerant Methodist preacher from Kansas, and he and his young son had been um, very ill, and so this is around the 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 very very end of um, the eighteen hundreds, and. He, he'd set up a healing home um, called Bethel Healing Home and, and some prayer groups. And they were really trying to revive something that had been floating around in the Great Awakenings in, in the United States and since the Civil War of, of this idea of speaking in tongues and, um, and and really getting those, you know, the, the nine gifts um, of the Holy Spirit that are in the Bible. So included the faith healing and yeah. And all of that, but but they certainly, you know, they they were very true believers, and they they really thought that they could, you know, 
bring tongues upon themselves and go out um, to convert all nations, as, as is prophesied. Um, this is a very... I, I think, you know, the, the Civil War had, you know, there, there was quite a dark mood in the country and a lot of people, you know, really thought the end times were coming at any moment. Um, and <laughs> <Still> so... Do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, 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 there is actually a, a fair bit of, uh, of change in that at the moment, I think, but, oh, but we, can, we can go there later on. Um <laughs> And uh, yeah, so he um, he and a group of followers at um, um, New Year's Eve uh, 1901 sat up all night praying and fasting, and eventually the, the Holy Spirit descended on a woman in the congregation called Agnes Osman. And she, um, you know, she fell to the ground and, and was, was babbling um, in, in, you know, an unintelligible language, and they thought that she was speaking Chinese. And um, this really sparked a movement um, of, of true believers and, and a lot of people um, eventually sort of, you know, set sail for places like China and, um, you know, completely ill-equipped and died of horrible things like dysentery when they got there because they just sort of turned up with the Bible and, um, and, and the, the, the absolute belief that they were speaking Chinese. Which they, um, they but, weren't. They've came to, they came to find out they probably weren't. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it sounded a pretty horrific time for some of those early missionaries. But, but you know, once again, they, they were true believers. They, they, they got out there. Um, but, but, and Pyram was, was really derided at the time in, in Kansas. Um, he was sort of, you know, almost laughed out of town. Uh, but, but there certainly were some people that believed him. And he went down to Houston and, um, and set up his own sort of Bible college and was preaching to people. And, and one of his students wound up being William, William, uh, sorry, pardon me, William J. Seymour. And as a black man, he couldn't even enter the classroom. Uh, he had to go and take his um, his preaching out in the hallway because of Jim Crow laws at the time. Wow. Uh, but but once again, he was he was a very pious man, very different to Parham. Parham was, um, you know, he could speak, he could clock 250 words a minute. Um, he was a very um, abrasive character. Seymour was the opposite. You know, he was a very Jesus-like figure. He was very calm, very quiet, um, very good to his congregation. People really followed him. As a, as, yeah, as, as, as a Jesus-like figure, you know, a man who practiced what he preached, um, a very gentle, a very gentle man. Um, and anyway, so um, Parham and Seymour wound up preaching out in the streets of Houston, and they'd stand on street corners. Parham would preach to the white people, and Seymour would preach to the black people. So he really cut his stripes out in the streets, and, and that's often a, a formative thing, right? You know, you know how to attract a crowd, you know how to keep them, you know how to stop people from walking away, you know what what grabs people's attention and what doesn't. Um, Seymour then went up to Los Angeles. He was invited to preach at, a, at an African Methodist church, um, started preaching some of, of Parham's ideas and was very quickly physically locked out of the congregation um, with lock and key. But enough, a small group of people believed him so he set up a an all night uh, prayer and uh, for days actually days and nights of prayer and fasting vigils um, at a, at an abandoned church in in downtown of the city, and um, eventually the spirit came to the congregation in April 1906, and once again people started falling to the floor, feeling slain in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, you know, just completely in a in a trance like state, I suppose you'd say. But what was really interesting about this, so whereas. Hiram was, you know, laugh, literally laughed out of Kansas um, for, for saying, you know, the same thing had happened to him. Seymour's congregation, I mean, for starters, it was more multicultural. So I think there was, you know, naturally there was some merging with some, some African beliefs. You know, there are still people who are fairly recent slaves. So there was in some ways more spiritual ideas of the world than, than perhaps the, the white people of Kansas indulged in. But 
the big thing that, that really happened was when it hit the papers a few days later, um, it got out to a much wider audience, a much more cosmopolitan audience who had different beliefs, who'd come to Los Angeles from all over America and all over the world. But it was also the same day that the San Francisco earthquake hit the newspapers. Mm. And once again, what I was saying before, these are you know people who really thought the end times were coming. They were pre-millennialists. So they thought that, you know, suddenly one day there's an earthquake, um, there's, you know, some fires and Jesus is here and you've got to be in the tent. Um, because otherwise, you know, it's judgment day, baby. Um, and if you, if you were, you know, if you didn't have your house in order, you're going to hell. And so people saw this earthquake as a real sign and wow. people started flocking to this church. They really thought it was, you know, they, they thought the end of the This is it. This is it. Yeah. <laughs> this is it, baby. And, um, as Pentecostals have always been great at from the beginning and they're really good at today, um, the churches were very multicultural. Women were allowed to preach from the beginning, blacks, whites, Hispanics, Asian people, wherever you were from in the world, you could sit anywhere you wanted in the church. This is obviously very appealing. Um, and and Pentecostals are, uh, as I said, very good at that today. Um, you know, they're very welcoming to, um, to all cultures and, and all races. Um, not, not all of them, of course, you know, sure, some sure, aren't there, sure. you know, there are some, some, some pretty awful kind of preachers that, that we know that are going around, but, but most, most churches, um, uh, to, to this day are very good at that. And so it was a very welcoming atmosphere. It was a, very contextually relevant atmosphere. It was, you know, inviting all sorts of people in. And so, you know, you're picking up different strains of belief as well. You know, you're picking up some um, Hispanic, you know, stuff that's coming up through the Catholic churches in Mexico. You're picking up small shamanistic beliefs from people who, you know, come over from Asia. You're picking up different strands of, you know, Seymour came from a, um, from a very African infused Catholic background. So there was, a willingness to really assimilate all sorts of ideas into this evangelical Christianity. And that's really the Pentecostalism that, that we see today, that it is different to, to a lot of other Christian faiths. It's probably much more spiritual. It's it's more, you know, about what you feel in your gut. It's about having... It's an experience. Yeah, it is. It's experiential. That's exactly the word. And it's, um, you know, that, that's pretty pr profound for people. You don't, you know, just want to have someone hammering on your head that, that you need to learn Joshua 9. Right. Um, you want to feel it within yourself. Um, it and that, that, that really is, is a very profound thing, but it can also, you know, in, in some of the wrong hands can be a very dangerous thing. Would you say that it's mostly a transfer? In other words, you know, one of the things that we, we, when I was in that world, we would always say, hey, we want to bring the lost into the church. You know, we want to save people. Yeah. But really what I found that even our church, the one I pastored, what we were doing is we just became the hottest thing in town and people were just transferring out of their lame church into our exciting church is really what it, I don't think that we were necessarily getting people who were agnostic or atheist, if you will, to say, oh my goodness, now, now I believe in God, now I believe in Jesus, now I believe all this stuff, and converting from nothing to Christianity. It was more of a, they're jumping from moderate or Catholic or some other main denomination, like you said, where it might be boring or lame or not a good message, and they were coming to our church, and then we were thinking, you know, hey, we're saving a bunch of people, we're growing. Does that make sense? Well, it 
No, no, absolutely. So it's the, the, the great not so secret of religion is that you don't convert atheists. Um, you convert people who already believe. And I mean, this is this is really a huge part of the Pentecostal explosion. Um, as I mentioned earlier in Brazil, it's converting Catholics by, by making it experiential, authentic, more alive, health, health and well. Um, yeah. And yeah. so you. Um, yeah, you convert people who who already have some sorts of, of spiritual beliefs. Um, in in the United States, I think yeah, we're definitely seeing a lot of people, you know, who maybe grew up Southern Baptists or, um, you know, just went to whatever you know church was in their small town, and and maybe they they moved to you know they might move to Los Angeles and feel really lost, and then you just see you know, you see Hillsong and there's all these programs where you can meet people and do stuff. And, and Justin um, Bieber. And the music, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, Hillsong's not a great example because they're, uh, they're kind the, of they're, uh, yeah. on uh, on death's door at the moment. They're but, um, famous for a lo- another reason now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but, but you see, um, yeah, Pentecostal churches, they have great music, always have had, always, you know, probably will do. They're exciting. They're not... Um, they're, they're not exclusionary, you know. It's it's not about okay, we're just going to open up the Bible and read this verse. I mean, the last time I went to a Hillsong Church in Sydney because I've done a lot of work on them, uh, but they, you know, they, they really helped change the game, which is why I mentioned them a lot. Um, there was one Bible verse of about of about two lines in the entire sermon on the Sunday that I saw. Yeah. You know, the rest was talking about about life and how you need to sort of make a date with yourself every week and you know just have some time alone, unplug. You know, be offline. Just think about things, and then, and then, you know, they just added in, you know, a one little proverb, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, so it's it's really, really welcoming, and you know, you go in there not knowing the songs, and it's the end of the song, and you're singing along. Um, and I'm not a person of faith myself, but but it, it's so noticeable just how how welcoming these these churches are. Yeah. And, well, we're trained um, to be that way. I mean, part of the yeah. training, I you know, so the. Ah, my, I, I should know this. I've been out of that world for so long. The the head of Hillsong Church, who's now he's not the head of Hillsong Church anymore. Um, Brian Houston. Yes, thank you, Brian Houston. I've met him. I've been to. Yeah. I've, I've yeah. I've sat you know at tables with him and interacted with him whenever I was a, a pastor. And you know he would talk about this. He would say, you know, here's how here's how you get people to come in. You got to have great music and you you know this and an encouraging, uplifting message. I mean, there was a real. In fact, when I started the church way back in, in 2000, there was like this, like, uh, how do you say this? Almost like a franchise. Like, here's what you do. Here's the mailers you send. Here's what you say. Here's what your website looks like. Here's how you organize your service. Like, very cookie cutter. You do this, do your church like this, and it will grow. And I came to Kansas City, which I'm from Kansas City, and started it. And I did what they taught and grew to 300 people pretty quick. And then, of course, my religious views just started to drastically change. And and the rest is, you know, that's a whole other story. But, uh, yeah, there's there's a formula. That's the word I was looking for. There's a formula on how to do it. And like you said, I found that a lot of the people in my church back then were coming from Catholic or a mainline denomination that's just barely alive. Mm-hmm. And we were alive, you know, like you said, we had the best music in town. We had fun, funny skits. We had, like you said, a couple Bible verses and 
a lot of good stuff to tell people about how to live lives, how to live their life better, how to be happier, how to be more fulfilled, how to be more successful, et cetera, et cetera. And that's just really, you know, that's, uh, um, people want that. I mean, you know, I still, it's funny, I'm an agnostic and I still will occasionally go to church mainly for the music or the community or just to, you know, I don't know, to get some kind of little positive message, though I don't really believe in much of everything that they're saying. Let's take a quick pause for a commercial break. We'll be right back. No, they're um, like I said, they're, they're good. They're good spaces. They're welcoming. The music is is captivating. It's um, it's like a film score. You know, the stakes are constantly raised, um, and then you have that moment of of relief. Um, you know, that's the chorus, and it's you know, it just sounds like anything that you know can just slide into your Spotify playlist when you you know hit hit the end of it, and it just it it starts uh, to just throwing out random things to you. Yeah. And yeah, that's the thing. It's it's about saying to people that you can be a Christian in the modern world. Yeah. You don't have to be, you know, some some quaking um you know terrified um soul that that you know thinks sure. Jesus is about to come back at any moment and you're not cutting your hair and you you know you're lifting up the snakes or or you're um, <laughs> <laughs> you're doing um you know and that, that there are you know there are some some forms of Pentecostalism still doing that that sure. I read about in my book but it's much more about saying yeah you can you can be a Christian in the modern world. There's yeah. nothing wrong with making a book. They make it very um, appealing. <laughs> It's very yeah, appealing. Yeah, there's no, nothing wrong with having a nice house. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have a nice house. Um, yeah. You know, that that's the kind of message that, that they say, and it appeals to people, and it's it's really contextualized in their in their lives. Yeah. And and yeah, it's you know, people are busy. People yeah. <laughs> people have a lot going on, and and I think it just it is it is very meaningful that um, I think for a lot of people that, that Christianity now is in and of this world whereas you know you go to a catholic church or an orthodox church which i'm not a person of faith myself but but i you know sort of prefer popping into those services and feeling something quite ethereal yeah. and feeling another world you know I, I, the, the the chanting and the the um devotional paintings and things like that is is what i like if i'm having a spiritual moment yeah. um but but yeah it seems that most people in the world want their christianity contextualized and and very much in the here and now um yeah. and obviously still offering something in the ever after oh, yeah um, you know people aren't, people aren't people aren't just going you know just to get their um uh, their arthritis healed or whatever you know you generally you know faith is you, you got to have that as well right. um but, but yeah, that's and more I mean, appealing like, to me too. the ethereal, like the church. I, yeah. when I do go to church, I go to a Methodist church. The pastor's super intelligent, you know, believes in, in evolution. So he, he's definitely more, um, yeah, it's just ethereal. He's very, he's a great teacher. He's a good man. You know, he's it, it just, they do well. They, 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 uh, handle their money. Well, you know, he's not driving up in a in a Bentley and being ushered in by two ushers with security. You know, it's just a it's a little bit. And and there's 20,000 people at this church here in Kansas City. So, I mean, it is a big church, but he's just a real down to earth guy. Again, I'm not a faith person either anymore, so I don't believe most of all of it. But I do believe in the in the idea of, you know, being loving and kind and generous and charitable. And I mean, all those things. I think any human I would think would be down for that, which is uh, the part that's appealing. Um, 
But okay, you said something, L, that just really intrigues me because some of the things, you know, I'm I'm 54, so I've been around long enough to to witness, you know, the book 88 Reasons Jesus is Returning in 1988. <laughs> and, you know, I remember reading that book. I remember my parents like selling some things and buying some things like just i i remember <laughs> and my folks are still super religious to 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 and in fact that i'm not is you know it's an, a topic that that gets brought up often um they because they want me to be in heaven with them but anyway uh the whole end times thing is that still is that just the outliers the the extreme people that still preach that the church we're going to be raptured out of here and Jesus is coming back. And, and of course he never does. Yeah. Look, so there's been a really interesting shift in sort of evangelical circles generally in the last few decades. Um, so Pentecostals particularly um, in, in the old days, a lot of them were, were pre-millennials. So um, yeah, you know, Jesus rocks up and you've got to have your house in order. Um, now um, there, there's much more, now people are much more post-millennial. Um, there's still all these sorts of debates, and, and to be honest, it's, it's well above my pay grade. Oh, um, got you, got <laughs> you. You can probably contextualize it better than me, but um, eschatology is is certainly not, not not my strong suit. Well, I know what I used to believe. I mean, I you know I can spell that out. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I'd love to to hear about it. Um, but I, I guess the the post-millennial thing to me, it's feels quite, um, shall we say, politically aligned. Um, Pentecostals have, have a real interest in the state of Israel. Um, yes. <laughs> and there is a real thing that, um, you know, the, the expression that, that you'll hear um, often when talking about eschatology now is um, we're in God's advancing kingdom. And yep. so it's kind of trying to get a bit of both in and saying, you know, pre-millennial, post-millennial, everyone's been arguing about this stuff for centuries, you know, why don't we focus on what we've got in common? And so it is about, you know, well, let's let's build the temple um, in Israel. Let, let's prepare everything for Jesus coming back. And, you know, if I'm right, if you're right, it doesn't matter, you know, we're, we're, we're all ready to go. Um, and, yeah, there's even a, a movement now that someone sort of synthesised things um, and it's called victorious eschatology. Yeah. And so, you know, there's stuff that they'll say, for example, oh, well, you know, maybe the trials and tribulations already happened. Maybe that was the Holocaust. Um, wow. And, you know, once again, oh, well, we better, you know, make sure that America moves its embassy to Jerusalem from Tel Aviv um, so that we can, you know, construct the, the Temple on the Mount and, um, and, and we're all ready to roll. Yeah. And so that's, um, that, that's a really, really big thing now that I think has – we're seeing some of the changes filter through and, and why that there is this this really hard political edge to Pentecostalism around the world. I mean, you'll see it in, um, uh, gosh, I was in a church in this rural part of Guatemala and it was an AOG church actually. Um, and they were, you know, j just preaching about stuff about, you know, the, um, the, the late Venezuelan leader who was a heavy communist, you know, just talking about North Korea about how all these guys are going to blow up the world. Um, and these are, you know, these are um, very, very poor people, often um, Indigenous or mixed heritage, you know, in the absolute middle of, you know, really in the in, in very small villages in, in Guatemala and, you know, sort of having these very global discussions when, you know, once again, these people are probably joining the church for the authenticity, for the health and wealth, for all of that. And so it really just is quite mixed in this political edge to a lot of the, the views on the end times. And, 
to to really contextualizing the world for people um, wow. who who believe and yeah I, th- I think that's quite interesting so, yeah. so what what kind of what kind of ex- eschatology were you taught and, and were you preaching when you were back in the church so yeah i, I believed that at that time i believed that jesus was going to come back and return and and rapture us all those that believed in jesus were going to be raptured out and then there'd be that the the seven years of tribulation and then the thousand year reign. I mean, all the, the typical Pentecostal beliefs. And it was always intimate. Like it was always, you know, you never know, you never know the day or the hour. It could be, it could be today. It could be tomorrow, but it's, it's coming. It's going to come. And one of the things that now I, when I became a pastor, I had, already kind of adopted that more Hillsong flavor. I, I, mm. I wasn't doing any of the hardcore making, tr- I wasn't trying to make everybody feel bad. I wasn't trying to, to, um, it was all, you know, health and wealth and happiness and, and, and one little Bible verse. And, you know, it was very soft and very light and very palatable, very appealing. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't speaking in tongues from the pulpit. I wasn't, spitting on people. I wasn't slapping people on the forehead and, and having them fall out. Now that was what I was a part of all my life though. Like I was, I I was a part of all of that stuff. And, and, and the, when I was an evangelist and traveling from church to church, especially, I mean, I got amongst, you'll laugh at this. I got amongst, I was down in um, some backwoods area of, Alabama, I think. And this little church had brought me in to, to preach and, and it was, we packed the house out and people were, you know, slain in the spirit, speaking in tongues and people that were acting like they were demon possessed or whatever. I think they were just kooky, but, um, and they, they, they didn't bring out snakes, but they alluded to that they're kind of open to that. And I was like, Oh dear Lord, what am I getting myself into? You know, I was already kind of moving away from some of the, some of that stuff, even though that that's always been a little extreme. Well, a lot extreme actually. Uh, and so I didn't, I really wasn't a part of that. Uh, but I definitely had my encounters with that, but even, you know, it's the return of Christ. Again, I don't believe in it, but we, people always thought it was, intimate, intimate. It was coming. It was coming. Even my parents, I I love my parents. They're, you know, they're, they're good people, but you know, my dad, you know, tells me all the time, you know, I think Jesus, he's coming back in my lifetime. He's told me he's coming back before I die. And I'm like, okay, dad, that's great. You know, that everybody says that I can't tell you how many people, I mean, I'm old enough now that I've heard preacher after preacher after preacher say that, and then, and then die. And then, you know, they're not here and it's just like, oh my goodness, or they get caught in sin or, you know, I mean, I've had, there's some name, I could name names, which there's no point in doing that. But I know a lot of the, the preachers that famously, famously fell from grace. Like I know them personally, I knew (laughs) them, you know, and it's just wild. You know, people are people, uh, whether you're a believer or not a believer, like you said, life is, is great but it's also can be challenging it's it's like everybody faces the same thing everybody on planet earth i don't care what you believe we all are experiencing human life and yes what is if you truly believe that god is helping you there can be some assistance there this is just my personal philosophy because you believe that there's someone helping you. And so therefore it's like the placebo effect, in my opinion, it's the placebo effect because I know people who also get help from, 
from no spiritual supreme being. They they just get help from within or help from a Buddhist philosophy or or whatever. That's not like you look at Christians and say, "Wow, they literally never get sick. They always have money. They are blessed beyond everybody else." And when nine eleven happened, no Christian actually was killed. Like <laughs> you know, that's just not that's just not true. That's not how the world yeah. is. Um, so, okay. A uh, couple questions. I know you got to go here soon. What were some surprising, if any things that you learned when researching the, the Pentecostal, uh, Pentecostalism, was there anything that, that surprised you, shocked you, wowed you, impressed you? Oh, wow. Um, ooh. I mean, so much of it, I could, uh, I could, I could bore anyone to death talking, talking yeah, about pick, this. Pick, but, pick um, one then. Yeah, pick one. <clears throat> um, okay, so I mean, just the the sheer global scale um, of Pentecostalism is just endlessly fascinating to me. Um, and I mean, for, for example, basically Pentecostals are, are more or less running the underground railroad that, that gets people out of North Korea, that gets the factors out um, and wow. providing a lot of the, you know, the um, Seoul is actually um, the, the capital of South Korea is, is known as the mega church capital of the world. Um, they have a huge amount of mega churches there. It is it is quite a big faith, um, you know, for people who have, you know, really only had Christianity seriously knocking on the door for, you know, 100 and 120 odd years. Um, wow. And uh, yeah, and and often churches are um, a, a lot of you know a lot of defectors from North Korea, which a lot of people don't really know, tend to want to go back. They tend to get to South Korea and they can't cope. Um, you know, it's just a, you know it's such a high tech society. It's so competitive. It's so fast paced. North Korean people speak differently, have an accent. They're often much smaller, and so they they stand out. Um, they don't really know many people. Um, they you know they don't have a lot of money. It's it's really hard. And then they go, gosh, I'd, you know, just rather go back to what I know. Um, Isn't that and, fascinating? Yeah, and um, so churches are often um, really providing um, just basic services um, for, for North Korean refugees or, or defectors, um, and so they'll. Um, They'll, you know, I, I interviewed some um, who, you know, sort of have to go around to one of the mega churches on Sunday and, you know, some of the women will come and leave you a bag of clothes. Um, if there's, you know, there's a dentist um, at a congregation, he'll do free work for North Korean defectors, things like that. Wow. Um, but also, so while they get this charity, they, you know, for understandable reasons, um, you know, most people in life have, have a bit of pride about them and they don't like that. You know, they call it selling your face or showing your face. And that they're sort of paraded around these churches and then these churches will do benefits, you know, often for um, Americans and American Korean populations who are very interested in what's going on in these churches. You know, they'll have fundraisers and benefits where the North Koreans kind of have to stand up and tell their story. And then they know how to embellish their story a bit, you know, to, you know, to make everyone happy. And it winds up being quite a miserable existence, I think, for fairly human, understandable reasons. Yeah. Um, I mean, in, in Nigeria, um, which... Uh, I, I, you know, I think fairly comfortably would lay claim to some of the biggest Pentecostal churches in the world um, that fit hundreds of thousands at a time. There's wow. a whole highway where they're built out. Um, it's incredible. I, I was actually there in the pandemic, so there wasn't, church wasn't on very often. Um, but I drove around the small um the small campground of, of probably what I'd say is the biggest church in the world, the redeemed Christian Church of God. Christian Church of Christ, I think, Triple uh, C. Um, and I drove around the small campground, which is about, um, 
uh, it's one kilometer by one kilometer with just seats of pews. So that's what that's like um, wow. 0.6 of a mile by 0.6 of a mile. Um, and the big one is three kilometers by three kilometers. So that's that's like one and a half miles by one and a half miles. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they yeah they just they just fill up with people. Um, and there's all of churches like this. I mean that's probably the biggest. Um, but there's this huge highway going into Lagos, which is a city of 20 million people. And, um, yeah, all these churches wound up sprouting out in the highways. Um, wow. And, you know, La- Lagos's traffic is just, you know, it's it's probably has some of the worst traffic in the world. And people might, you know, spend three hours a day commuting um, to and from work in the city. Wow. And so the churches has become the centre of everything. And, you know, you can stop there, get your spiritual nourishment, you know, keep yourself going that things are going to get better and you're going to, you know, you're going to make money and you're going to succeed. And then they offer things like um, speed dating. These churches, like, because you know, if you're in traffic, <laughs> if you're in traffic for six hours a day, how are you going to meet someone? Um, and so, so you, you can pop off, you know, there on your way home and do some speed dating, meet your partner, feel inspired. Um, yeah, you know, get all the good stuff. Maybe, maybe, you know, get someone to look at your gummy shoulder or whatever. Um, and so, these wow. churches really are life centers for people in these gigantic cities where. Life is life is tough. So they're and, really meeting you know, the need. Spirituality is the solace. Yeah. So it's 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 spirit. You know, spiritual needs, but they're very much material needs as well. They're very very responsive, and and it's, you know, a lot of young people going to these churches who, who yeah, they, they they want the good stuff. You know, they they believe in God, but you know, they, they still want someone to love yeah. um, in the real world. You know, and that that <laughs> stuff is. It, yeah, I mean, you're you're a former pastor. You know how important that stuff is to people. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's, you know, it's funny. I, and you're a dating coach too. I was going to say, <laughs> I, was gonna say, I <laughs> work as yeah, a matchmaker, should, right? I'm a matchmaker. Man, you, you should move to Nigeria. <laughs> I, I, I can hook you up. You'd be, you'd be a star. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah, maybe maybe we can talk about that. <laughs> Bring me in as a special speaker. I would definitely be down for that to talk about love. That's, you know, it's funny. It was an easy transition for me. I've, I've always... Um, you know, as, as a pastor, obviously, I stood up in front of people and could speak and 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 did that. And that's one of the reasons I started the podcast. Once I walked away from faith, um, I thought, man, I still like, you know, talking. I still like having conversations with interesting people. I'm very curious um, as well as I was, you know, I'm a wedding officiant. So I, I officiate a lot of weddings. And so I started doing wedding, you know, premarital counseling stuff. And then that led me into I, I do speed dating events here. I do, uh, in fact, we're wanting to do a blind date type of a deal from that show, Blind, you know, Love is Blind. We're going to do a, a blind dating thing here. Um, I work as a matchmaker. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it all kind of fit together a little bit. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing, it's an amazing journey for sure to, um, to just to experience all all the different ways people can meet you know it's amazing mm. how you can meet people i know i when i was single i had gotten divorced back in 2019 and uh just did some deep dark soul searching and and you know of course i tried some of the online stuff which i was like oh brother and <laughs> i felt that was just so, so superficial i mean i did it for a little bit but it was just so superficial just looking at someone and swiping left or right and that's that kind of really gave me an interest in, in uh, going, hey, I could do these events and bring people together in person so they can just meet over drinks or coffee or whatever and uh, just have ca- casual conversations. Because, you know, when I was a pastor, yeah, people met all the time in the church, you know, especially as the church, as we got larger and larger 
And for whatever reason, I attracted a certain demographic and man, yeah, people were meeting left and right uh, at the church and, and just falling in love, you know, in the pews. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like uh, you, you'd know much better than I, but yeah, like these churches are, are often where people go to meet, you know, people because you want someone who has similar values oh, to you. Oh, 100%. Um, and so, yeah, if it's like someone who's, um, once again, I know Hillsong was really great at this. They, um, they, they did what I kind of call nightclub rules. They, they really forefronted young women at the front of a lot of their programs because it gets, gets young men in the door. Um, but, but, you know, it's, it's also about saying like, these are, um, you know, they, they often things like we can go and, um, and read and like to, to people in prison and things like that, or, you know, feed the homeless or whatever. And so, yeah, there's a lot of quite community minded people and they go, yeah, you know, I met this girl, you know, she goes to church. She's, um, yeah, she feeds the homeless on weekends. Um, that's the kind of person I want to be with. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's a, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of quite a, not shortcuts, not the right word, but it, it's a very quick way to find out if someone's got the same values as you. And, and like you said, yeah, a lot of people, um, don't necessarily, you know, like the, um, you know, just kind of online shopping on Tinder or whatever sure. um, for a partner, you know, yeah. um, you, you're probably going to have, you know, much more success in finding someone who, um, who, who, you know, likes the same things as you do and values the same things as you do. Yeah. You know, I've often wondered that, uh, uh, cause I've even contemplated this in, in my own journey. I've, I've, I, because I so love community. I love positive messages. I love, you know, s positive self-talk. I mean, there's still, a lot of that that I, I still value in my own personal life and find it helpful in, in my journey and as well as serving and, and, you know, working with homeless or doing whatever. So it's like, I've kept a lot of my, like my life for the most part hasn't changed much outside mm -hmm. of, you know, I lost some friends and there was clearly some people that literally don't want to be my friend because I am agnostic now, which you know, apparently they weren't, I guess my friend anyway, but I, I've, I've mm -hmm. often wondered if I could do a church again, but not, but not base it upon uh, a belief in, you know, Jesus is coming back and the Bible is true. And I, I, I've thought about that. You know, I've wondered, is there a way to build a church like community where it's, you get all the benefits of what I feel is good. Uh, but, leave out all the stuff that's in my opinion that I just find to be wacky uh, and, and nutty, but who knows? Yeah. Look, I, I mean, I've certainly heard of those types of things. I mean, I guess I think that it's difficult when you don't have that, um, a biblical foundation, you know, the one thing that everyone all agrees in. That's um, exactly right. Yeah. yeah. I imagine, um, yeah, and, you know, especially at the moment um, with the, you know, the, the we're seeing a particularly polarized moment. I imagine it'd be something hard to juggle, but, hey, like, if you get off the ground, I think that'd be very cool. Yeah. So I guess a couple a couple of questions before we, we go. Um, out of all the things that you've written about, what, what's been your favorite thing? Ooh, um... That is so hard to say. I mean, um, the chapter that I have in the book on um, what's been happening in Guatemala and why I was out in that church that I mentioned um, meant a lot to me. Um, there was, I, I read about the, uh, a traditional uh, medicine man, um, a Mayan guy in Guatemala was murdered in 2021, I think June, June 2021. Um, uh, and it sort of went viral because he was set on fire uh, by people in the village. Um, and so I went out there to, to investigate that and write about it. And I think I'm the only journalist that, that really has. Um, and, you know, there, there is a real sort of campaign of assassination um, underway against a lot of traditional 
mind spiritual leaders and faith healers um, by a lot of the Pentecostal and evangelical churches out there. Wow. Often, um, and, and so it sort of looks like a, 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 a the long tail of, of the, the civil war. Like in, a holy um, war. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It, it sort of has some remnants. They, they had the longest and the bloodiest of the civil wars in um, in Central America, you know, thanks to, to continued destabilization by America um, through coups in the, from the 50s to the 70s. Um, and yeah, that was um, very grim and it, it's something that's, that's very real and it's happening and, and it's obviously very distressing. Um, so, so that, that really meant a lot to me. Um, and also just recently had a, had a piece out in the Guardian, um, US, so the, the big British paper has, has a United States arm that's online out here. Um, and I wrote about a, a sort of a faith healing, um, spiritual warfare, kind of Pentecostal exorcism group down in Arizona, wow. who's doing um, some uh, kind of out there stuff. Um, and, you know, it's sort of people, people going for, for help, you know, with their sicknesses and things like that. Um, and, you know, probably it, it really just looks like a, it's a real cure for a lot of the ills of, of modern America. I mean, it's just people who can't afford healthcare, um, who have chronic health conditions and, and who are turning to this group um, who use some, some kind of crazy methods. There's a lot of vomiting and, um, and stuff going on. And I sort of underwent it myself. Um, but, but I think it's, I think that's, it's a really authentic expression of Christianity in America today. You know, people think about your, I don't know, you know, Pat Robertson or someone screaming about abortion or um, maybe a, um, you know, a Mexican Catholic church um, on the Texas border or something like that. Um, I, I think that this is the most, this is the, you know, this is a really authentic mainstream American Christianity now is a group like this of all sorts of, you know, different races and ages. Um, it's not actually a church. It's just kind of a healing center. People might get the church online, um, you know, especially since the pandemic, they're going in all sorts of different places. But it, but I think that what this group is doing is is really, you know, sort of median American Christianity today. And, and I think that's probably quite surprising to, to a lot of people. Yeah. All right. What is, what, what's the most influential book that you've read as of late? <sighs> Uh, any book or, or on Christianity? Yeah, no, any book, any book. Ooh, gosh. Um, I, oh God, that's a really hard question. Uh, actually it was, I'm just looking for the name. Um, oh, sorry. I'm just opening my, oh, it's okay. Now. It's, it's about, um, crime. Oh, sorry. I'm just looking for my. I cannot find it at all. Sorry. Um, oh, that's okay. It, no, no, it's a uh, really – oh, it's called – that's right, here we go. It's called The Outlaw Ocean by Ian Urbina. He was a New York Times reporter. Um, but it's about um, the sort of lawlessness of the high seas, so all the fishing trawlers and things like that, um, really damaging to the environment. You know, it's all human trafficking and slave labour. Um, really fascinating, um, depressing, but very important book, and um, it's just a really great read as well. Yeah. Uh, Favourite thing to do when you're not working or writing? Oh, um, uh, I mean, I, I really like traveling. Um, I like, I like going to a bar and just having margaritas with friends and, and just talking, talking, um, trying to think of the right word. That's not the swear word. Uh, just, just talking, talking through things. Sure, sure, um, sure. yeah, just, just being social, <laughs> just chatting to people. Yeah. All right. Last question. Um, well, I have two questions, but we don't have time for this. I was going to ask you about alien life. If we ever find alien life, we'll, we'll, we'll do another podcast sometime about that. <laughs> <laughs> you cat or dog? Do you have a cat or dog? Um, I, uh, my 
partner has a cat uh, who woke me up at 4 a.m. this morning, which is why I'm, I'm not so sharp. Um, and I also had a had a late cat who recently passed away back home in Oz, um, and she she was living with my parents. But yeah, she was she was very wonderful and and uh, and gave me a lot of joy. And uh, yeah, my partner's cat's pretty cool too yeah. um, when she's not not waking me up at 4 a.m. Yeah. I can- <laughs> well, listen, L. I really appreciate your time today, and uh, yeah, I really, I really love all the stuff that I've been trying to download about you and learning about you, and and can't wait to read your book. Um, yeah, it. I really appreciate it, and I hope you have a wonderful day today. Oh, cool. Well, thanks so much for chatting. I've, I've really enjoyed it, and um, yeah, stay in touch. Yeah, thank you. Cheers. Uh huh. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.